And welcome to Standard Precautions and Beyond, Conversations in Infection Prevention and Control, a podcast for the Alabama Regional Center for Infection Prevention and Control, Training and Technical Assistance, or ARC-IPC. My name is Mina Nabavi, and I'm a program manager with the ARC-IPC at the University of Alabama at Birmingham's School of Public Health. This past week, the U.S. reported a record single-day number of daily COVID cases with more than 1 million new infections, according to data compiled by Johns Hopkins University, as the highly infectious Omicron variant continues to spread throughout the country and beyond. The U.S. also has the highest seven-day average of daily new cases in any country tracked by Johns Hopkins. So even though Omicron has only been around for a short period of time, it has quickly made its mark. We have invited Dr. Rachel Lee, Associate Professor in the UAB Division of Infectious Diseases and UAB Health Epidemiologist, to talk about all things related to the Omicron variant for as much time as she has today. So Dr. Lee, thank you so much for for being here. Happy New Year to you, um, and thank you for coming on the podcast with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year. So can you start out with an overview of what COVID looks like right now, you know, broadly in the United States, but also more specifically, Alabama? Yeah, it's, it's sad to say that we have surpassed 57 million cases and 800,000 deaths since this pandemic began in the United States. Cases in the U.S. are up over 250 percent, and we've reached an all-time high of about 600,000 cases per day. And we know hospitalizations are growing, but they are a slower rate compared to Delta. But we are still seeing that increase nationally and locally. In Alabama, we're experiencing a high rate of positive cases at this time um, with over 42% positivity rate, which is incredible. All hospitals are experiencing an increase in hospitalizations, albeit slower compared to the last Delta surge. So I wonder for our listeners, if you can explain the differences between the Delta variant and the Omicron variant and really, you know, the the differences in the mutations of the two. Yeah, so Omicron is known as B.1.1.529. Um, it was first identified in South Africa in November of 2021, although we it likely didn't originate there. It probably originated elsewhere. It was classified then as a variant of concern because it has many spike protein substitutions. So the spike protein is what attaches to our cells in the body. And so when they have a whole bunch of substitutions there, Those can be associated with a reduced susceptibility to our monoclonal antibody therapeutics, and then also potentially a reduced susceptibility to our vaccine immunity that we have. The Delta variant, which caused our last surge, um, was twice as contagious as prior variants and caused more severe disease in unvaccinated people. Omicron is much more transmissible than Delta, and so this, coupled with its ability to escape our immune system, has allowed it to spread very quickly. So that leads in great to my next question about the symptoms. Um, Are the symptoms of Omicron different from those of Delta? And, you know, as a a follow-up to that, do you recommend that people get tested for COVID if they are experiencing those symptoms of Omicron? Yeah, so the symptoms of Omicron are very similar to Delta and similar to what we've seen with COVID. So headache, runny nose, sore throat, cough, fevers, muscle aches is all very nonspecific. Um, In fully vaccinated people, some of these symptoms have been very mild, and if we weren't in a pandemic, you may not really think much about them. 
But we are still seeing patients who develop pneumonia and then require hospitalization from Omicron. Um, these symptoms, like I said, are very similar to Delta, and it's really too early to tell if there are any key differences between the variants. I will say, however, there is a lot of messaging out there that Omicron is mild, so don't worry about it. And I think that's incorrect. Um, in talking to friends and colleagues that have had Omicron, um, while they may not be hospitalized, they still feel terrible. Um, and if you think 10 days of just feeling very ill is not mild, it just means that you don't have to go to the hospital. In addition to this, we have no idea if those infected with Omicron will develop what we know as long COVID, um, which would be a major concern given all the cases that we have. Now, with our high positivity rate, if you have those symptoms, even if they're mild, you know, I recommend testing um, because we can get that test over the counter um, or you can go to your doctor or to an urgent care center to get tested. So speaking about symptoms, you know, in addition to COVID, we are in flu season. Um, the common cold is circulating and lots of other viruses out there. Can you explain the difference in symptoms for cold versus flu versus COVID and when someone should get tested based on those symptoms? Unfortunately, there's so much overlap right now. You know, I think at the beginning of um, COVID, you heard a lot of what's called anosmia, which means the inability to smell, and that was highly specific for COVID. But right now, you can hear that if someone comes in with cough, runny nose, and fever, I would not be able to tell you if it's COVID or flu or some other respiratory virus um, because there's so much overlap. Flu is circulating right now in the United States. Um, it is at a higher rate compared to what it was last year because last year we were all still wearing a lot of masks and um, still trying to distance as much as we can. But it's much lower compared to say 2019, the pre-COVID season. So right now, because Omicron is so prevalent, really testing for COVID first is key. Related to that question, flu-rona. So I heard about this this past week when uh, I believe a woman in Israel was detected with COVID and flu at the same time. How serious is it if someone gets flu-rona? So we have identified patients that have had co-infection with other respiratory viruses. And so if you look for it, you'll find it. Um, you know that what Florona is, is COVID and flu combined, but I've seen COVID and another respiratory virus. Um, it all depends on your testing ability. Um, in the case documented from Israel, the concern was that it was in an unvaccinated pregnant patient. So we have strong data that COVID can be worse in unvaccinated patients. And we also know that both flu and COVID can have big consequences on a pregnant patient. So that concern that you're really like stacking up against a pregnant patient and they may have problems is what was concerning and probably why that story was picked up. Now, the good news is that we have vaccines for both flu and for COVID, um, and we have influenza medications. And then now hopefully we'll have, um, as these come out and get distributed more, these oral uh, medications for COVID. That's a, a good segue to the next question that I want to ask about, you know, how well do these vaccines protect against Omicron? And if someone has been infected with COVID previously, does that give them some protection against Omicron? Yeah, so we're starting to get some answers about vaccine effectiveness in the face of Omicron. So from both Pfizer and Moderna, our mRNA vaccines, Omicron significantly reduces the number of what we call neutralizing antibodies when you have a two-dose series compared to previous variants. 
So, you know, when we when these vaccines first came out, they were about 90% effective um, at preventing hospitalization, which is incredible. Um, but now vaccine effectiveness is thought to be around 30 to 40% after the two shots. But with the booster, it actually improved to 70 to 80%. Now, a key thing here is that reduction in neutralizing antibodies, which you'll see a lot of that in the media, is really not the same thing as vaccine effectiveness. Um, we have a variety of immune cells to protect us from infection. And when we get vaccinated, um, we have these kind of circulating antibodies early on, but then we also create memory cells um, that are not measured by neutralizing tests. So you may get symptomatic, but then your memory cells come into play and will help um, control the infection in that way. Now about reinfection, we're still learning about reinfection in Omicron, but there has been some early data from both the United Kingdom and South Africa that has shown that the risk of reinfection with Omicron after having COVID before is really somewhere between three to eight times greater than it was for Delta variant. So that is new. We you know, previously thought that you had a lot of natural immunity if you developed, um, if you had COVID before. Um, Omicron seems to be escaping some of our immune, uh, immune ability, whether it be from vaccines or from infection. And so boosters, boosters are so important. What populations are eligible for boosters and when should someone get a booster if they haven't already? The CDC just put out that um, if you are five months out from vaccination, that you should consider getting a booster. Um, the data has been pretty strong for six months for ages 18 and up. And then they recently released that for the 12 to 17 year olds that you um, are eligible for a booster as well. Now the data behind that is really coming from Israel. They've been leading the way in this vaccine data and recently published um, their results of their booster campaign, albeit happening before Omicron. So they found out of four and a half million people, those who received a booster were 10 times less likely to get COVID-19 and almost 18 times less likely to have severe disease. Time after time, we have seen that data supporting vaccination reduces hospitalization and it reduces mortality. From a global health perspective, you know, boosters can help slow the spread of this highly contagious variant while we continue to give primary vaccinations to countries that don't have high rates of vaccine yet. So boosters can help slow the spread, but also masking, right? Um, masking is extremely important given how transmissible Omicron is. Is there any other guidance about mask usage or types of masks that we should be using? And even if someone is vaccinated and, and boosted, should they still be wearing a mask? Yeah, you know, masking somehow has become a hot debate again. Um, and in particular, what type of mask, mask is the best one to protect ourselves in the face of this Omicron variant? So as a reminder, masks are one mitigation measure for COVID-19, but we really need a layered approach to preventing spread. Masking, distancing, staying home when you're sick, getting tested frequently if you have symptoms, we want to improve ventilation on indoor spaces and, of course, vaccination. All of those together really help reduce the risk. I will tell you right now, um, I have not seen any data proving that cloth masks are ineffective if both you and another person are wearing them and also following these other mitigation uh, strategies. I will say, though, that not all cloth masks are made the same, and the best mask, first and foremost, is one that you can comfortably wear and fits snugly around your face and covers your nose. Um, I've got two children, and one, one of whom has a face that just 
does not seem to fit masks very well and it's taken the time to find the right mask for him. Um, and so if I put him in a procedural mask um, and it, his nose is showing, then it's really not doing much to protect him. As far as procedural masks and KN95s and N95s, you know, these are considerations that you can think about depending on, you know, are you working in close vicinity with others um, who may not be vaccinated and maybe they're working while sick. Um, but once again, if the mask is uncomfortable and you're touching it frequently, then you may be exposing yourself more by constant readjustment. Could you also speak briefly about double masking? I know that's something um, that colleagues have talked about wearing a surgical mask and then a, a cloth mask over that. Is, does that provide any more protection? Yeah, so the CDC did do a, a small study looking at ways to improve your mask ventilation. And so what they did find was that double layering with, what, like what you said, a procedural mask and a cloth mask um, did reduce um, the amount of particles being emitted and going out compared to, say, just one mask alone. And that's what you would expect, right? You're getting more layers. Um, the key thing there is to make sure that um, the masks are not rubbing up against one another and potentially pulling each other down. And also to make sure that you're comfortable because if you can't breathe and you're going to take off your mask, um, then that may not be the right thing for you. I know we're running out of time, but one last question about cases. Do you anticipate cases continuing to rise this post-holiday season? So is this surge due to people gathering for the holidays, for New Year's, do you anticipate to, to see cases continuing to rise? Based on recent models, we can expect that we may peak in our cases here in Alabama by mid to late January, which is similar to what we saw last year. Um, what's the wild card here this year, though, is that there have been many schools, many elementary schools, high schools that have not mandated masking in children. And with this, we may see more children become ill and then more cases of COVID-19 transmitting to family members, which can lengthen our current surge. The one hope that I see on the horizon, if you look at South Africa, they had a quick high number of cases and then quick down as well. So potentially, Omicron, while it being more infectious, um, seems to run through a population very quickly. I want to leave some some time here at the end. You know, if you have any you know final thoughts or parting words um, to share with our listeners. Yeah, you know, I think there is a lot of information out there right now. The biggest thing that I have heard from people that has been breaking my heart is saying that we're all going to get it. Um, and that statement is a reflection of burnout from this pandemic. Uh, what I hope we could focus on is trying our best not to continue to spread this virus, to, to wear our masks, to get vaccinated or boosted if you're eligible, and really to continue to do our part for public health. Because I personally believe that we can get out of this. We can continue to protect the ones we love um, and get back to happier times. And like you said earlier, keeping with those public health principles of hand washing, staying home if you are sick, and, and getting tested regularly. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for this informative and extremely timely podcast on Omicron. You have provided a lot of information for our listeners, and I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk with me. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Please tune in next time for another episode of Standard Precautions and Beyond, Conversations in Infection Prevention and Control. 